You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That escalated quickly. Remember when we were talking about the Warriors having an easy time of it in their round one series against the Clippers, all while awaiting the Houston-Utah winner? Well, not only are the Warriors now tied at one in that series after blowing a 31-point second-half lead with the Clippers now having home court advantage, but they also lost Boogie Cousins for the remainder of the postseason to a torn quad. So what does it all mean for the Rockets? That's what we're going to be talking about today here at Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. As we chat this Tuesday, April 16th, the Rockets are about 24 hours away from tipping off Game 2 of their first-round series against the Utah Jazz. It's going to be another home game at Toyota Center, so it's a great opportunity to take a potentially commanding two-games-to-nothing lead in the best-of-seven series. This is all while the Warriors, the likely round-two opponent for the Rockets, should they advance, are going through a bit more trouble than we anticipated. There's not too much new news with the Rockets today. They did return to practice, and they're all healthy, so that's really about all there is to say on that front. Really, I think the majority of adjustments for Game 2 are going to be from Quinn Snyder and the Jazz, since they're the team that lost by 32 points in Game 1. And as for what those will be, we'll have to wait until Game 2 on Wednesday to truly find out. If you want some discussion on the possibilities, I urge you to check out my Monday show with Matt Cardenas, if you haven't listened to that one already, about the X's and O's of some of the things that Utah could do differently. So on today's show on Tuesday, what we're going to be talking about is the rest of the Western Conference playoff bracket. And as I see it, the biggest news is the Boogie Cousins injury. We will get to the Warriors-Clippers series, as well as what's going on with Denver-San Antonio and Portland-Oklahoma City. Those play later tonight, both of those. We'll talk about all of that in later segments. But at this point, as far as the Warriors and Clippers in particular, I'm not letting myself go down the road of thinking that this is Seattle and Denver in 1994 all over again, where the top seed loses in round one in this historic upset, and ultimately Houston benefits on its way to a title. I'd certainly welcome that, and I'll be cheering for the Clips, and technically it is now a best-of-five series with the Clippers having home court advantage. But generally speaking, there's a reason why the Warriors won Game 1 with ease and also went up 31 points in the third quarter of Game 2 before the largest collapse in a single game in playoff history. Overall, the Warriors built that lead because they are a far more talented team, I'd argue the most talented in NBA history, and they have had issues with boredom in the past. I think that's a much more reasonable explanation for what happened than thinking the Clippers actually have some way or figure something out to compete with them in this series. My guess is that the Warriors will be much more focused moving forward, and they'll simply finish the Clippers off in five games rather than four. And if that happens, the only real benefit for Houston, and both Mike D'Antoni and Chris Paul said this at practice today, is that it's a good wake-up call and a reminder that playoff games are never over and that you always have to keep fighting. I really don't think Golden State beating L.A. in five games instead of four is otherwise going to magically change things or tire them out for the round two series, which, of course, is against the winner of the Rockets and Jazz. Now, if the Clippers can take another game, 
then sure, we'll have to be open to that possibility, but I'm not willing to go there just yet. Anyway, we'll talk more about Clippers and Warriors in segment two. Here in segment one, I'm going to lead with the angle that I think is very likely to have a direct impact on the Rockets and their championship chances, and that's the quad injury to Boogie Cousins. Now, first things first, we wish Boogie all the best. This is a catastrophic injury for a guy who was about to get his big payday last summer, instead coming off an Achilles injury, which he had to rehab and spent so much time over the past year doing that. He didn't get his big payday, signed on a discount with the Warriors in hopes of being in an ideal situation to rehab more, less pressure to be back on the court immediately. And of course, even when he does return the first year after the Achilles, it may not be the perfect time for him to go back to his superstar role in terms of usage. So he took a calculated gamble that this would be in his best interest. And also, this is his ninth year in the NBA, and this is his first time in the playoffs. When he tore that left quad going after a loose ball in the first quarter against the Clippers in Monday's game two, that was just his second career playoff game. So beyond making a calculated decision that the Warriors were best to increase his profile and then hopefully get the maximum contract this summer that he apparently did not get offered last year when he was entering free agency off the Achilles, not only is it catastrophic in terms of his value, but also he's a competitor. And so to see it in only his second playoff game, you feel bad for the guy. And hopefully, it is worth noting, the quad injury does not have anywhere near as daunting of a long-term prognosis as the Achilles. So hopefully, he's still able to get a good contract in the offseason. He did have some good tape in the regular season, even if there wasn't that much data on how Boogie was going to play in the playoffs with the Warriors. And he's not even 30 years old yet. So Hopefully, this isn't anything too debilitating in terms of both his health as well as his long-term earning potential. Definitely feel bad for the guy, and injuries suck no matter what team they happen to, and I wish the guy all the best. That said, it definitely has an impact, and that's what we're going to be talking about today on the Rockets and their chances. Just the same way that when Chris Paul had a hamstring injury last May, that definitely had an impact on Golden State's championship chances. So these things happen. It's a part of the game. And while I don't want to be not sensitive to Boogie, at the same time, this is definitely something that has relevance to the Rockets, especially considering the probability of a Houston-Golden State round two series, with the Rockets currently up one game to nothing. And the Warriors, even though they're tied at one, I don't think there are too many people that really think that the Clippers are going to win this series. And my initial thought is that It raises Golden State's floor, but it lowers their ceiling. And on the balance, I think that's positive for the Rockets. I think it's very confusing when you look at the data points we already have involving Boogie Cousins and the Rockets to see or try and figure out what his absence would mean if these two teams inevitably meet in the postseason again. In the first game that Boogie played against the Rockets. That was the February win that the Rockets had at Oracle Arena without James Harden. He came back in late January, so he'd been playing for nearly a month. And that first one, the Rockets torched him. Boogie was a team-worst minus 17 in the plus-minus. He shot just 4 of 12 from the field. Offensively, he made them stagnant, the Warriors, that is. Defensively, the Rockets abused him in the pick-and-roll game. And then just three weeks later, in early March... The one win the Rockets posted, or the Warriors posted in four tries against the Rockets this season, 106-104 over Houston at Toyota Center, Boogie was arguably their best player. 27 points, 
11 of 16 shooting, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. He bullied smaller defenders on the switch, and at times he even bullied Clint Capella. Now, I know Capella was just coming off his first couple of weeks after missing nearly six with the thumb surgery, so maybe he wasn't all the way back yet. But Boogie, and this was a game that Kevin Durant missed, was arguably Golden State's most impactful player in that win, and that was just three weeks after he was perhaps their biggest negative. So it's tough to extrapolate what he would have meant from those two games. And I've seen some say after the game in which he was so brilliant offensively, 27 and 7 assists, 11 of 16 from the field, that maybe the Rockets were saving something for the playoffs because they didn't seem to attack him in the pick and roll as much as they did in that February game. They also didn't play Nene. That's possible. But I think a more logical reason for Boogie breaking out, and this is relevant to the situation the Warriors currently find themselves in, is that Kevin Durant missed that game. And what I think the biggest issue for the Warriors and Boogie Cousins would have potentially been is a point of diminishing returns on offense. Sure, he's a bit slow-footed in the pick and roll, but there are ways, especially when you have the collective team defense that Golden State does, to get around that. The biggest question was always going to be, are there enough basketballs to go around? And the fact is, when you have so many guys, Curry, Durant, now Boogie Cousins, that need the ball to be effective, that need shot attempts and touches to get rhythm, and of course there's Klay Thompson, Draymond Green too, at some point there can be a point of diminishing returns. Could they fit him in without making their offense less efficient because they're taking away touches and shot attempts for two of the best shooters in the history of the game in Steph Curry and Kevin Durant? We can throw Klay Thompson in there as well. That was always going to be the question, and so perhaps Boogie having such a strong game in March was correlated with not having to worry about one of those options in the case of the March game KD. So from the Warriors standpoint, I do think that's one area where it could hurt them. They don't have as much insulation for future injuries because should something happen, a turned ankle to Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, something like that, even though it's not the same position, having another guy that can be high usage and at times star quality like DeMarcus Cousins, a career 20 and 10 type, that's useful. Whereas now they are more vulnerable if God forbid, one of their stars has something happen the same way that Chris Paul had his hamstring go out at the worst time a year ago, then not having Boogie Cousins, that's certainly a loss because when Durant missed that March game, it felt like the Warriors didn't miss a beat. And in part, it was because they could slide Cousins in, even though he's not a drop-in Durant replacement. Depth-wise, it is another potential star that you can throw in there. Generally speaking, though, as far as the Rockets and Warriors are concerned, the way I see it is this. Boogie, if he were to play, he lowers the Warriors' floor. That was evident in the February meeting because he can be a net negative defensively. There are times that teams can torch him in the pick and roll. That's what Chris Paul and Kenneth Fareed did back in February. We saw even in round one, game one, the Clippers' Warriors. Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell did it. He can be a liability on that end. And at times, the touches he needs, the offense can be stagnant. So in terms of the blending process and defensively, the fact that his performance is so erratic, there's a situation where he can be combustible. And with Boogie on the floor, there's a chance that based on chemistry factors, it might make the Warriors a little bit worse than they were the past two years when they were NBA champions with Kevin Durant. However, he also raises their ceiling because especially in the Houston matchup, and we saw this when he bullied smaller defenders and even Clint Capella in March, this is a guy that can be 
the antidote to all the switching and the way the Rockets successfully mucked up the game in the Western Conference Finals a year ago and in largely the four games this season, which the Rockets won three of against Golden State. When the Rockets do all this switching, having the presence of Boogie Cousins as someone that's really coordinated on the low block, that's a way that the Warriors can go down low, get some easy points, and not have the game get as ugly as it did in Game 4 and Game 5, both wins by the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals, when neither team got to 100 points. It was a crawl. And that's where Boogie Cousins, especially with the switching the Rockets do, and often having a small on a big, could take advantage. Now you're going to have some combination of Kevon Looney, Andrew Bogut, maybe Jordan Bell at the center spot. Certainly capable NBA players, but no one that can be near as dynamic offensively as Boogie Cousins. And the reason I think this is a slight positive for the Rockets, sure, I think without Cousins, the Warriors are more stable. They'll go back to the model they had the past couple of years. That's something they're used to, having the Looney and Bell and even Bogut types. You go back a few years before that. They're experienced with that, so I don't think there's going to be some huge drop-off. And as far as any chemistry concerns, should say the Rockets win a couple of games and then the Warriors' locker room get combustible with Boogie wanting more touches or perhaps somebody gets mad at his defensive liabilities, that downside scenario isn't there. But in the case of Houston, any recipe for the Warriors to lose to the Rockets involves Houston keeping Golden State beneath its ceiling. That's why I keep going back to Game 4 and Game 5 a year ago. The Rockets didn't win those games because they just were running and gutting and beat Golden State at their own game. No, they made it ugly. So if there's any chance for Houston to beat Golden State four times out of seven, it's generally going to be because Houston keeps Golden State beneath its ceiling. So in my opinion, lowering what that ceiling is, that's important. Because Boogie, that dimension, that's something to where maybe it can thwart what Houston did a year ago, the way they slowed everything down, the pace, they made it an ugly isolation street fight, basically. And the thought after the Warriors got Boogie Cousins, and of course that was just a stroke of luck, his market diminishing after the Achilles, the thought was that that could be, as I said, the antidote to what Houston was doing a year ago. Now that's not there. So in my opinion, the fact that it's a lower ceiling for the Warriors no matter how unlikely it was, that path was definitely there for them to hit an even higher level with Boogie. That matters because the Rockets can't match Golden State at their ceiling. They can't. Even if we say playoff CP3 is back, James Harden, Chris Paul, Hall of Famers, okay, that's two All-Stars for the Rockets. Golden State with Boogie has five. If both teams are playing and firing on all cylinders, Golden State is better. So the ceiling scenario always matters because if you're Houston trying to beat them, step one is how do we limit Golden State's ceiling? How do we make sure that they are not firing on all cylinders? Because if they are, they're just more talented. They're the best team in NBA history. And taking away Boogie Cousins, that's an upside play for Golden State. And to me, that makes them more beatable as far as the Rockets are concerned. And my closing thoughts on it, perhaps if you're a Houston fan, this is how it's supposed to be. One of the most frustrating ways that I can think of for the Rockets to be eliminated this year when so much is about avenging what happens when they were up three games to two a year ago in the Western Conference Finals and then Chris Paul's hamstring went out would have been for the Warriors lucking into Boogie Cousins at the discount of the MLE to be the difference. 
for say, if Houston gets through the first round against Utah, Chris Paul is healthy, everything is clicking, and yet somehow in the rematch, the Warriors are even better than they were a year ago because of Boogie Cousins. At this point, the teams are going to look very similar. Now, not identical. Of course, the Rockets have Austin Rivers, Daniel House instead of Trevor Ariza, Luke Bamute. The Warriors have Andrew Bogut back. Quinn Cook is better than he was a year ago. But by and large, the big guns with Boogie Cousins out, Rockets-Warriors 2019, if that happens, is going to look very similar to Rockets-Warriors 2018. So when it comes to avenging what happened a year ago, perhaps if you're a Rockets fan, this is the best case scenario because now you get your shot. Remember, it's not like the Rockets had won the series when Chris Paul went out. We think they were in good position because they were up three games to two, but game four and game five, they were pretty close. It was one possession game in the final minute. While we think it's more likely than not, it certainly was not a given, and it should be pointed out, Game 7, even without Chris Paul, the Rockets only lost by single digits, even with no CP3, all the officiating nonsense, the 0-for-27 historic outlier of a stretch from 3, the Rockets could compete. Well, you know what? You rarely get a chance, a second chance, that is, in sports to truly avenge that type of defeat. I think back to maybe the 2014 Spurs avenging their loss in the 2013 finals under similarly devastating circumstances to the Heat. A year later, they got a chance and they made good on it, defeating LeBron's Heat in five games and actually setting the table for LeBron to go back to Cleveland. Perhaps that's what ends up happening for the Rockets and Warriors. And who knows, maybe it pushes Durant out of Golden State at the end of the year. That's a few months away. As far as what the Rockets can control, now you don't have to worry about what if Golden State has another gear. He's gone. And even though the Warriors' floor is still quite high because they've won two titles with largely this same group, at the same time, you think that you were already going to beat this group a year ago. The Rockets are not afraid of the four-headed monster, Durant, Curry, Clay, Draymond, the way a lot of other NBA teams are. The floor might be higher, but the Rockets are the one team that isn't afraid of that. Even if the floor is higher, the Rockets feel like, and maybe they're wrong, but now we'll get the chance to see that based on a year ago, they can beat these guys. I don't know if they're right, but the boogie injury, assuming Houston can beat Utah, is going to give them the chance. So that's my initial thought on it. It's certainly negative for boogie. I feel terrible for the guy, but as far as Houston as a whole... And whether they can actually beat the most talented team ever assembled, the Golden State Warriors, the two-time defending champs, four times out of seven in the second round series we all assume is coming, then to me, I definitely don't see how the boogie injury hurts them. And there are definitely some scenarios where it might help as well. Now, continuing our way through Tuesday's show on this April 16th here at Locked on Rockets, Of course, the Rockets and the Jazz, they're back at practice today, but it's the second consecutive off day. No true news on the injury front or otherwise for these two teams. We have to wait until Wednesday night's Game 2 to see exactly what adjustments Quinn Snyder pulls out as the Jazz try and avoid falling down 0-2 after losing by 32 points in Sunday's Game 1. And of course, we'll be back to talking more Rockets-specific coverage, especially after Wednesday's Game 2. We'll have our usual recap and Hopefully, it'll be another positive one with the Rockets having an ideal opportunity to go up two games to nothing in this best-of-seven series. Today, though, in Tuesday's show, we're taking a look at the rest of the Western Conference playoff bracket, specifically Golden State, 
We talked in segment one, the news of the Boogie Cousins injury. Here in segment two, we're going to look at what the actual game means, because not only did the Rockets or the Warriors, excuse me, lose Boogie Cousins last night, they also lost the game, becoming the first team in NBA history to blow a 31-plus point playoff lead, which they had in the middle of the second half, and then ultimately falling 135-131, to tying the best-of-seven series at a game of peace, heading back to Staples Center for Thursday night's Game 3. So, we're talking about the Warriors a lot because obviously they're the foil to the Rockets. They're the team that knocked them off a year ago. They're the two-time defending champions, the gold standard of the NBA, and they also happen to be on the Rockets' side of the playoff bracket. So, if Houston is fortunate enough to beat the Jazz in Round 1, it's almost certainly going to be Golden State in Round 2. So, any developments involving that team, beyond just the obvious storylines over the past few years, this year, with the way the bracket is set up, they're especially important. So obviously the boogie storyline is a much bigger deal because that's confirmed to have ripple effects beyond this round. As far as the state of the series between the Warriors and the Clippers, that's a little more confusing. Now, to be fair, this is now a best of five series and the Clippers have home court advantage. I don't want to make it seem like that I am overlooking that fact. On paper, the Clippers did what they needed to do. They won one of the two games at Oracle Arena, and now they go back home. In reality, I don't really see a path to the Clippers winning this series. My expectation is still for the Warriors to win in five, and a lot of us expected that before the series because the Warriors have had struggles with boredom from time to time this season, and they went up by 31 points. Look, there's a reason why Golden State won game one with relative ease, and there's a reason why they went up 31 points in the middle of the third quarter last night. It's a heck of a comeback to the Clippers. Credit to former Rockets, Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, Montres Harrell. There's a lot of grit. Doc Rivers is a fantastic coach. Ultimately, the Warriors are just a much more talented team. And there's a reason why every team at the top of the Western Conference playoff bracket, including Houston, really wanted the Clippers in round one. They're scrappy, but from a talent perspective, they just don't have the upside that a lot of other teams do. And in my opinion, what happened on Monday night was more about what the Warriors didn't do, how they got careless with the ball, a lot of turnovers, unforced errors, than what the Clippers did in terms of the comeback. So as far as what it means for Houston, at this point, I'm not anticipating that much to change. If Golden State wins this series in five games, and that's my expectation, I think they're certainly going to be a lot more focused now, then that series would wrap up next Wednesday. And as far as a Houston-Golden State series, should the Rockets advance, that would not start until at the earliest Sunday, April 28th, and more likely Monday or Tuesday. The way it's set up, a Game 6 and a Game 7 of both the Rockets and Warriors Round 1 series would be Friday the 26th and Sunday the 28th. Now, should one or both of those series not go to six or seven games, it's possible that game one of the round two series could be moved up to the weekend. It wouldn't be earlier. It wouldn't be Saturday, and the NBA doesn't like having that many games on Saturday anyway because it's not a great night for ratings. Theoretically, depending on how many game sevens there are around the league, ABC could opt for game one of the Rockets-Warriors series on that Sunday, the 28th. If neither team goes seven games, that's a possibility. More likely, it's Monday or Tuesday. But the reason I lay out the timetable, if Golden State wins in five games and they wrap things up next Wednesday, even if the series goes five games instead of four, there's not going to be, in my opinion, a cumulative mileage effect when they have three-plus days off between round one and round two. So this, in and of itself, doesn't really do anything to the calculus for Golden State, in my opinion, at least as it pertains to the round two matchup with Houston. 
Now, if they lose another game, it could. If the Clippers, say, can get a split of the two games in L.A. this weekend, Thursday night, and then Sunday afternoon, all of a sudden, if the Warriors are playing into that weekend, mentioned Game 6 on Friday the 26th, then yes, that could tax them a little bit going into the Houston series. So that certainly makes the games more interesting. If the Warriors had won last night, even if the Clippers had gotten a lead in Game 3 or Game 4, it would have been hard to get very excited about it. Now, it at least makes it intriguing. If the Warriors lose one more game, then yeah, that could have an impact in terms of Round 2. But right now, this one loss does not really change that much of the calculus, in my opinion. It's not going to make them a significantly weaker opponent in round two just because they win in five games rather than four. If you want round one to have a negative effect on Golden State down the road, you need to be cheering for the Clippers to win much more than just the one game last night, amazing as it was. That said, what I do think this helps, and of course it's not just the Rockets, it's the entire league, but I think it especially applies to Houston, given that most people consider the Rockets the top challenger to the Warriors' throne. This sends a strong message that no lead is safe and anyone can beat anyone. Whether Houston was watching the game or maybe they were asleep like I was and woke up to the news shockingly Tuesday morning, wherever you were, when you learned that the Warriors blew a 31-point lead in a playoff game, that will resonate. That will leave a mark. And it shows that we talked a lot this season about the Rockets blowing leads. I know it's frustrating, but they're not the only team going through this. In today's NBA, where the offensive players are more skilled than ever, you have more pace, you have more variance because everyone is shooting so many threes, a 30-point lead today is what a 20-point lead was 10 years ago. And a 20-point lead today is what a 10 or 12-point lead was a few years back. The math is changing. No lead is safe. And even if you are a much more talented team, which the Warriors are than the Clippers, in the playoffs, everyone is playing hard. And no matter what the advantage is, you cannot take your foot off the gas because if you give the other team life, they are capable, even if they are less talented on paper, to come back and bite you. So to me, with the Rockets now up one game in this best of seven with the Jazz in a series that largely seems to be considered one that Houston has a talent advantage and a matchup advantage, yeah, there could be an issue with complacency. The Rockets did drop game two at this point a season ago after taking game one against the Jazz. To me, of course, everyone in the NBA notices it, but I think it's especially relevant here in Houston to see the Warriors of all teams with that abundance of riches still lose that game under those circumstances. It is a stark reminder that you cannot take anything for granted. Some of it, of course, as I was saying, the leads are not what they used to be. But beyond that, yes, the Warriors did get a little lazy and bored. I think that's the best way to characterize it. And if you do that in a playoff setting, anyone, maybe not the Detroit Pistons, but other than that, anyone is capable of beating you. So I think this is something that it's always nicer if you can get a lesson like that without having it directly impact you. It's much the same theme as I said after game one in which the Rockets had a lot of unfriendly whistles with the officiating. James Harden only went to the line three times. It's a lot easier when you can get the win when something like that happens to you as opposed to, you know, you take that lesson and you try and build on it. In the case of the officials, of course, you'll try and talk with the league office to make sure it doesn't happen again, but you've lost the game. So even if things do change down the line, you're trying to overcome the loss that shouldn't have happened. Well, now, both from the standpoint of hopefully getting some of the officiating issues fixed. And in the case of the Warriors blowing that 31-point lead, 
yeah, this is a lesson that you can take without it actually negatively impacting you. So as I see it, that to me is the key takeaway from the Golden State loss in game two. It's not a huge development. It's nothing earth shattering. But as with the boogie injury, it's something that, in my opinion, can only be a net positive, if only slightly, for the Rockets. It's certainly not a negative by any stretch of the imagination as we head towards Wednesday's Game 2. We'll talk more about the other side of the Western Conference playoff bracket in just a few moments in our third and final segment. But for now, I do want to remind you guys that to get this show each and every day, subscribe to Locked on Rockets on the new Himalaya Podcast app. In this ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new features each and every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked On Rockets. Final thoughts as we wrap up a busy day of news around the association on this Tuesday, April 16th. We spent the first two segments largely discussing the Golden State Warriors, the double whammy of news late last night both blowing the 31-point lead they held in the second half against the Clippers and falling into a 1-1 tie with the series shifting to L.A. with Thursday night's Game 3. We talked about that in our second segment. And then, of course, in our first segment, we talked about the news that will have ripple effects well beyond just this series. Boogie Cousins likely out for the postseason with a quad injury. So lots of news on that front. And with Golden State, the obvious foil to the Rockets and their likely round two opponent, that's by far the key storyline. As we close out, though, I do want to touch on the other Western Conference playoff series. We talked about them a little bit with Matt Cardenas on our Monday show. Basically, our X's and O's recap, and I wanted to pick his brain because I know he watches a lot of basketball aside from the Rockets, a really smart basketball mind. And he thinks that Oklahoma City, of the two favorites, is in a bit more trouble than Denver. And the reason these other two series are interesting, if Houston beats Golden State, It's not over. This is not going to be the Western Conference Finals. To get to the NBA Finals and get your shot against Milwaukee or whoever it is to win a ring, it's not like you beat Golden State and then you're there. There is going to be one more series, and even though the Rockets would be favorites against any of the four teams on the other side of the bracket, Denver and San Antonio in one of those series, Portland and Oklahoma City in the other, at the same time, you would have to go out and beat them four times out of seven. And on our Monday show with Matt Cardenas, I asked him, Of the favorites that lost Game 1, Oklahoma City to Portland and Denver to San Antonio, which was in more trouble? And his answer was Oklahoma City, citing largely the health of Paul George. Also, Portland has home court, so if it's a long series, having a Game 5 and Game 7 in Portland is more daunting than Denver against the Spurs, because if it's tight, then Game 5 and Game 7 are in Denver. Both of these series do return to play tonight, so either they'll be tied at one or perhaps someone takes a 2-0 lead. I'm hoping for a 2-0 because personally what I think is in the best interest of the Rockets weakening the playoff bracket on that side is if San Antonio and Portland win. So as I see it, the most impactful series is actually Portland OKC. With the Spurs and Nuggets, I think I have a slight preference for San Antonio to win because should they advance out of that bracket to the Western Conference Finals and Houston get there, then as much as Houston has had a matchup advantage on Denver, they would have a matchup advantage and home court versus San Antonio. Whereas Denver, they would have the key inflection points games, mentioned Game 5, Game 7, and Denver. I still think the Rockets would be prohibitive favorites, but at least that's something that they could fall back on. Whereas with San Antonio, we saw it when James Harden put up 61 in March. I don't think they really have any method to stop Harden and Houston would have home court advantage. I think that would be 
an overwhelming edge. The others, Portland and Oklahoma City, it's interesting because Portland, based on the shenanigans of the last two days of the season, would actually have home court advantage over the Rockets, whereas OKC would not. However, with the Blazers not having Yusuf Nurkic and the Thunder beating the Rockets three or four times, including the season finale, having two stars, I know there are injury concerns with Paul George, but PG, Russ, they can score, they can put up points, especially in the clutch, and their overall length and physicality gives the Rockets a lot of problems. And the key thing to keep in mind, if Houston somehow beats Golden State, it's likely to be a long and grueling and physically exhausting series. To me, the worst thing coming off a Rockets win in six or seven games over the Warriors would be having to face a team like the Thunder. Even though Houston has home court advantage in that hypothetical matchup, a team that's so long, so physical, so tough, because there is often a mileage effect. Think back to the Warriors. I've used this analogy before. They beat the Thunder. That was when KD was with Oklahoma City back in 2016 in a seven-game Western Conference Finals that really pushed them. And then ultimately, the Warriors ended up losing in the NBA Finals, blowing a 3-1 lead. Those numbers, 3-1, and one, are kind of funny for Golden State after not just blowing a 3-1 lead back in 2016, also the 31-point lead last night. Hopefully, the fact that those two digits are also in James Harden's jersey number bodes well. We'll have to wait and see. But getting back to the point, the Warriors, in my opinion, were so taxed physically based on that Thunder series that it did play a role in them running out of gas against the Cavs in that NBA Finals and dropping the final three games of that series and losing the championship. And they lost that series even with a home game seven and with a home game five. So to me, when you consider how spent the Rockets are likely to be if they are fortunate enough not just to beat the Jazz, but to beat the Warriors as well, to me, the Thunder, it's not just that they've beaten them three out of four times this year. It's how physical, it's how long, it's how tough that squad is. To me, playing them right after Golden State would be the worst case scenario. So that's why, to me, having that team lose, and if they go down in round one, that's all the better. I don't care about home court advantage. Even if it makes it more likely the Rockets play Denver or Portland, and that means that game one is on the road, well, guess what? The Rockets, in this hypothetical, will have just won a series in which Golden State, the most talented team ever, had home court advantage, and they overcame it. So I really don't think if the Rockets can win at Oracle at least at some point and probably multiple times, that they're going to be phased by Denver or Portland. To me, the only team of those four that can threaten the Rockets is Oklahoma City should Houston advance past Golden State. And of course, if Houston doesn't get past Golden State, this whole discussion is pointless. So as far as those other two series, I'm loosely cheering for San Antonio, but I really don't see that as a huge deal. To me, the biggest priority, have Portland take care of business against Oklahoma City. That, to me, of those four, that's the only scenario. And it's not so much that I see OKC as better to Houston. It's just when you consider the mileage, it's kind of similar to that Cleveland-Golden State dynamic I was telling you about. I don't think the 2016 Cavs were necessarily better than the 73-win Warriors, still the winningest team in NBA history. I think to some degree it was a combination of matchups and also mileage. And stuff like that happens in the playoffs. And to me, I could see the stars aligning if Houston plays Oklahoma City in the conference finals. Not saying I would predict it, but it's at least possible. Whereas, I don't care where the games are played, I cannot see Houston beating Golden State and then losing four times out of seven to Denver, Portland, or San Antonio. Could I be wrong? Sure. But personally, I don't see it. So to me, of those other two series, the biggest key, cheer for the Portland Trailblazers. The earlier you can knock out Oklahoma City, in my opinion, the better for the Rockets' long-term chances. 
anyway, this is where we will wrap it on this Tuesday, April 16th. Don't want to go on too long because, well, we're going to have a lot more coverage in the next couple of days as the Rockets get back to basketball, beginning with Wednesday night's Game 2 at Toyota Center. Hopefully, I'll see a bunch of you guys out there. If you want more coverage in real time as the game is progressing and before our next episode, the best place to get it is on Twitter. You can follow me on there at Ben DuBose, or you can follow the show on there at Lockdown Rockets. Beyond that, we've got a Facebook account at facebook.com slash Rockets, a website at LockdownRockets.com, an email address, LockdownRockets at gmail.com. All those are ways that you can reach out to me and ask questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the diehard Rockets fan, or even you, the human being, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. Also, beyond listening, which I appreciate you guys doing, if you'd be kind enough to subscribe, that's how you get episodes right when they come out. That really helps us. Leave five-star reviews. And you can subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And when you get in your car, you can tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Rockets and figure out how to listen to our most recent episode that way as well. That'll do it for our Tuesday show. On Wednesday night, we'll have a much more Rockets-centric show. Why? Because after two off days, the Rockets are finally back on the hardwood and resuming their best-of-seven series round one with the Utah Jazz on Wednesday night. Hopefully, that'll be another positive episode. Rockets have a great opportunity to go up 2-0 in the best-of-seven series. Whatever happens, though, we'll be right here to break it all down at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily coverage of everything Houston Rockets basketball.